So that's right. Okay, well, someone asked if we were still in Romans. No, we're not. <laughs> but we are in the second week of chapter two of Philippians. And uh, today, we'll see how far we get. But uh, uh, I want I us to start our reading at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and we'll read from verse 1 through verse uh, 16, I think. So uh, that'll be our goal for the day. I'd be happy if we made half of that. Um, just to bring you up to date, we are meeting next week uh, for Tuesday. And then uh, uh, Rick and I are winging our way to Cuba. Uh, thank you for the prayers for the visas. It looks like we've uh, squared that away. So um, hopefully we'll be okay. Um, had a little mix up in the way that we applied for them and it created some concern as to whether or not we were actually gonna get into the country. So um, anyhow, we're, uh, we're looking forward to going and seeing what God has in store. We have... Uh, but we will s the next Tuesday we won't be there, right? Yeah, the following Tuesday we won't be there. I've, I've put on your on your email, it says that. Uh, is that the 14th, 15th? 15th, we will not. We'll just be getting back into town. Uh, we've got a weird flight. <laughs> we're going to spend most of the day in uh, Atlanta or Memphis or someplace <laughs> or other trying to get a flight back to Detroit so uh, it's just kind of weird yeah we could have we could have driven we could have driven a car faster than it's going to take us to fly but yeah apparently apparently they're filled up so you know yeah we're going to check out anyhow looks like it, it looks like we'll have um, right now uh we have about uh, 1,300, money for about 1,300 Bibles, roughly. Um, so uh, we're praising the Lord for that. And um, we get more funds. I'm sorry? Well, here's the deal. We don't, we don't actually give them, we don't actually bring Bibles. We bring cash. Oh, okay. We bring cash. Uh, they have a situation where they're allowed to uh, purchase Bibles as long as uh, there's a, I, I don't know how many, there's so many sitting in the harbor someplace in a boat that they're waiting to get onto the shore was the last that I heard. Um, but they have, uh, uh, the, the government has graciously decided that it's uh, more cost effective if they allow us to buy them versus for them to burn them. So... Um, Anyhow, we're, we're thankful for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, it's good. We've, uh, we're figuring roughly three, in our money, roughly three bucks for a Bible is our, our figuring. So, um, anyhow, continue to pray uh, that, that God sees fit to uh, just make it a, a great uh, week there and that we get some real good contacts and, uh, and we get a chance to... Uh, uh, to be able to be a blessing to them versus uh, a, a hindrance. So we'll see how that works. Anyhow, let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll get busy reading today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. 
thank you for uh, taking care of the visa situation. Uh, and we pray that you would um, continue to work in each of our lives as we seek to follow you. We ask that you would open our eyes for uh, what you have for us today. We pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives and, and uh, where necessary it would convict us of our, our, our failings, our sins, and it would encourage us. He would encourage us where we uh, need encouragement and strengthen us where we need strength. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read through. Yeah, you know what? Let's just, we'll just bite the bullet and read the entire chapter. I think that's fine. We'll go all the way through verse 30. So the entire chapter. Uh, good morning. And um, let's pick it up at, with uh, Dennis's table, Dan's table. Well, look at there. Daryl's got a table. Daryl's table, Tom's table, and our table, Lord willing. So we'll, we'll read round robin, uh, verse at a time, Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So I can be proud of you when Christ comes again. You will show that my work was not wasted, that I ran the race and won. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too shall be glad and rejoice with me.
Okay. Well, let's go back. Now, uh, we're going to be looking at starting and actually uh, digging in on verse 5. But in order to get to verse 5, we have to remember that, that we're talking about what? What are we talking about in the first four verses? Remember last week? Humility. Humility. Humility is the key for the first, the first four verses. And as a result of that, we are told that our attitude ought to be the same as Christ's attitude. And then he goes on to explain what his attitude was and why it was, which is really tough uh, when you consider that he's the God of the universe and he, his model for us to follow is what? Humility, to take care of others, to put others in front of us. Remember we talked about one guy, uh, one scholar defined humility as not just putting others in front of you, not even bothering to think about yourself. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, I don't know how many of you know the comedian slash singer Mark Lowry who sings with the Gaither uh, vocal band. Uh, I knew him before he was with the Gaithers and uh, he tells a story about uh, the very first time that he ever went out on a, uh, uh, a ministry where he was singing, traveling and singing uh, in various churches and the very first church he went to. Uh, you know, he came, he had driven from Virginia up to, to Pennsylvania to go to this church to sing. He sings, does all of his stuff. And as he's leaving, uh, instead of getting, uh, you know, some kind of a, a thank you token, uh, whether it's a, a love offering or, a, or a, an amount of money, he got a handshake. You know, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. This is a guy who was at best just out of college. And, uh, you know, and so he's driving back to school or back to Virginia, at least, and he's going, Lord, your servant didn't get paid today, you know, <laughs> you know? and you got to think to yourself sometimes it's hard to not think about yourself. It's hard to put others in front of you, especially when you've got needs and you're going, well, but what about us? What about me, Lord? Um, I'm reminded again of the time that I think I've told you this story, and you're going to get tired of some of my stories, I'm sure, but uh, church diagonally across from the church that I was pastoring out near St. Louis, and they're in a building campaign, we're in a building campaign. Their Miracle Sunday was going to, where they were hoping to, to go over the, the goal of what they needed to build, for the, to build their church. And I had, was speaking on Abraham and living open-handedly, and I was saying to, uh, I, I had this, this epiphany 
as I'm sitting at a Chinese diner eating and going, you know, wouldn't it be great if we took an offering for this other church, even though they're not the same stream of Christianity we are, they're still our brothers and sisters in the Lord. What, what would happen if we lived open-handedly by giving? And so I went to my elders and I asked if they would have a problem with it. And there was a few gulps. And it's like, really? Because aren't we having a, in the midst of a building fund? I go, yeah, but wouldn't it be great if we showed what it was like to live open-handedly? And if God leads, let's give. And uh, they said, oh, okay. So the, the short version of that story is that we announced it a week or so before their, their Sunday. We collected the money. And we went over, I went over that weekend before their service and presented the check to the pastor and just said, we just want to bless you and, and let you know that we're excited about what God's doing in your midst. And even though you're not part of our fellowship, we acknowledge that you are fellow believers in Christ. And they were just blown away. And what I had not realized up until that time was there was an animosity between those two churches. And they were fighting each other over times over people come, leaving one and going to the other and vice versa. And, and it just blew that congregation out of the water. Why? Because we lived open-handedly. We weren't worried about ourselves. We were worried about someone else. Let's bless them. And that's, you know, I think God blessed us as a result of that because we lived and we just said exactly what I've, I've asked you folks to do when it comes to funding for the Bibles. Pray, ask God, whatever he tells you, just do it. Don't don't worry about it if he whatever he says. Don't go don't give a nickel more. Don't give a nickel less. If he says zero, then praise God. He gave you your answer. If he says to to give a million dollars and some of you haven't yet, then just saying <laughs> we could fund a whole lot of Bibles in a whole lot of countries if that happened. So and there's a possibility that we're going to be looking for Bibles for uh, Sicily. They're starting to allow more. Um, refugees in again so we might have to crank up for that but in the meantime we uh, we give as god gives us the opportunity to and then we just say we we pour out our lives into others all right so we're in chapter uh, 2 verse 5 and the, and what we have here is many scholars believe that verses 5 through 11 is a pre pauline hymn a song that was sung in the in the early church. Now there are other scholars that say no, it absolutely wasn't, and they give you there's lots of reasons back and forth why. But regardless of whether it is or it isn't, there are times when Paul does tend to stick hymns in. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 is uh, is often been considered a hymn. Uh, Colossians um, Colossians in my mind just went blank. Um, Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 which is by the way the passage if many of you know the uh, uh, Danny wrote a song a number of years ago and it says he is the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation you remember that song okay that's a direct quote out of first uh, out of Colossians 1 and almost that entire passage he took and put music to that's a hymn out of uh, that Paul used first Timothy 316. Um, is another one that is considered a hymn. And so there are lots of hymns that are there. So whether or not Paul actually meant that, that this was a hymn or whether he wrote it himself, then, boy, he's a good hymn writer, if that's the case. Because uh, you think of some of the things that he has to say here. 
Uh, notice that in here he talks about the fact that the servanthood that, that we're to model is the servanthood that Christ had. Um, Philipp the, the Philippians were to imitate him because in doing so, the problem of disunity that they talked about in the first four verses of chapter 2 will go away. Why? Because you're not thinking about yourself, you're thinking about others. Yeah, Tom. No, he's talking about uh, persecution. Is what he's talking about. In fact, that word there, struggle in the in the Greek, I have a note that I wrote into my Bible here. It talks about conflict or agony. So there's a there's a struggle that's going on. That Paul's in jail. Uh, he seems to be okay, but the struggle is: does he going to get out or not? And the, the the struggle is that he's being persecuted as being a believer. And interestingly enough, often when we struggle, the more the struggle that we have in persecution, the church tends to band together a lot better. I don't know why, it just seems to work that way. Um, many of you have read, uh, is it Richard uh, Warmbrand's book? Um, what's the name of the book, anybody? Well, he, he, wrote, he, he, he founded the group of the Voice of the Martyrs, but I can't remember the name of it. Persecuted for Christ. He talks about what happened in Romania during the communist rule and the things that he went through and that other believers went through. And there was no worrying about what denomination you were. When you're in prison together, it doesn't matter. It suddenly, you're a believer and we're, we're, we're of the same family. The squabbles end when, the, when conflict comes from without. It's, it's true in our own families. You notice that? I came from my, my mother's side of the family was all Polish. And I don't know if all Poles are this way or it was just our family, but we tended to fight among ourselves a lot. My, my wife was absolutely floored when she came into our family and the first time she went to a family function on my mother's side because it was always a war. Someone was fighting against somebody. Somebody was upset with somebody in the family. That's just the way it was. It was actually kind of fun as long as you weren't involved in it. You got to sit on the sideline and see. As a kid, it was great. You never knew what was going to happen and what was going to break out. You know, just is it, can I have some popcorn, Grandma? Because this is fun. You know, and, and so. But let me tell you this: have someone come against the family, and suddenly they all closed ranks, and there was no more squabbles until that outside force was taken care of. And so I think it is sometimes with us. So we've got here, we've got this idea of this hymn in which Paul says to us, he, he said, look at this right here, look at verse 6. Who being in the very nature of God, what does that mean? What does it mean? It's simple, I think. Like God, like God or what else besides like, let's have a better. All powerful, okay. Being, being. Being in the very nature, God. Being in the very nature, God. What, what is that? As compared, look at, look at verse 7. Being made in human likeness. What's the difference between being and being made? You're already there if you're being. What, what's that say about him as being God? He is God. He is God. <laughs> See how simple it is? He is God. 
it be, who being in the very nature, this was one of the fights that the early church had. Uh, there was a group in the, in the church early on in, in uh, the Nicene Creed uh, developed as a result of in, in 325 AD. It, it, it developed over whether the argument was, is, God, is Christ co-equal of the same essence of the same substance as God the Father? Or was he something different? Now, I look at this verse and I'm going, you had a question? But that, that, was the, that was the argument. And there was a whole group of folks in the church that believed that Christ was less than God. He was more than man, but less than God. But this verse says, no, he's the very nature. He is God. And, but he didn't consider it equality with God, to, something to be grasped. Some of you have different translations. Tell me what it says there in verse 6. What are the, some of the different translations you have there in, in so, something to be grasped? I'm sorry? Robbery. Robbery. Okay, another one. Did not consider used to his own advantage. Okay. In the form of. In the form of is probably the King James was uh, uh, used that as one of the translations. There were several others that did as well. See how we, we struggle with knowing what a, what a word is in Greek? Because sometimes it can be translated several different ways depending upon your perspective. And usually these words are decided over a committee, not just one guy. So there's a lot of discussion. But the idea here is that he is of the same essence as God. And the result of that is, let me see if I can find my notes here, um, that, he is, uh, that he did not want to grasp God or rob God of it is, but he also acknowledged that he was himself, of himself, very much he is God himself. He's not exalting himself. Do you, know, do you remember anybody else that tried to exalt themselves up to God's level? <laughs> Lucifer. Oh, Lucifer. Yeah, remember that? You know, remember what we talk about? I think it's in Isaiah. It says he wanted to ascend and he wanted to actually sit on the throne of God. Hey, this is kind of comfortable. I like this chair, you know? This is kind of cool, being all-powerful, sitting in, in God's throne. He wanted to ascend to the, the same heights as God. Anybody else you know that wanted to do that? Caesar, okay. I'm thinking a little earlier than Caesar, but yeah, Caesar claimed that he was God, yeah. Go, go a little earlier. Egyptian kings. Egyptian kings, yeah. You hit it. Where was it? Adam and Eve. Did God say that, God didn't say that you would die? Why, if you eat of this tree, you will be like God. You'll be on the same plane as God. You will know the difference between good and evil like God does. I want to, I want to be like God. That's what, they're, that's what Adam and Eve, oh, that looks, that's kind of cool. I get to be like God. Yeah. He's not stealing something from the Father, is he? He's not stealing God's glory. In fact, the, the result of that is not only is he not stealing God's glory, but it says what? It says that 
He wasn't afraid to lose it. Yeah. I yeah. Guess that brings up the unity that they have to, to our view according to uh, Father and Son. There's yeah. The unity when there's the choice who's going to go, who's going to do it. Right. It's not that it was, you go and I'll stay, and you better obey. Yeah. Does it cost for some confusion when you have what we call in uh, the Ten Commandments saying that God wants no one before him? Mm -hmm. But then we raise Jesus to an equal status. We do. Or we think that we do. Jesus himself. Yeah, this is one of the, this is one of the things that was troubling for the early church and had to be decided, as I said in Nicaea took 300 years, just 300 years to decide what today we accept as orthodoxy. Were those that didn't accept it said that he was less than God, less than God the Father, and the result was Arianism. I'm sorry, which is today would be Jehovah's Witness or perhaps even the Mormons. Yeah. So, go ahead. Or hung on to, or hung on to. That's really kind of hard to grasp because he is yeah. that, which actually implies so much. Uh huh. You know, and yet he has to fight that. It just kind of blows my mind. I can't comprehend that. It's so important. So the the idea of Trinity, where there is one God in three persons, is very hard to grasp. In fact, it's one of the the issues that, as an example. Uh, Judaism uh, fights against because there's monotheistic one God. Ten Commandments, as you mentioned, one God. We have this problem with Islam. Islam says that they are, they are the only ones that, well, you know, they, they say they're one of the only ones that believe that God is singular, singular. There's one God, monotheistic. And so they say that we're not monotheistic because we say that there are three persons. Well, Again, one God, three persons. Do I understand it? No. Do I have to accept it if I want to be a believer? Yes. You know, I remember I've told you some scholars say that you'll lose your mind trying to figure it out, but without believing it, you'll lose your soul. Just saying. You know, I'm sure there are people thinking. I'm sure there are people that are thinking the same thing about us. I can't understand what he's thinking. I can't understand where he's at. Yeah. So, it, it, for the Jews, for sure, it, it gets even worse. Is is um, not even possible in the thought process yeah. that the Lord loves us so much that He would actually come on board with us. Yeah. In, in this special way for eternity. Yeah. And I'm sure the Muslims are probably the same way, is that they're not worthy 
to be able to have that type of gift. And the thing is, we aren't worthy. We have a God who chooses to pursue us. There's nothing you can do to make God want you. There's nothing you can do to go, oh, man, that's so cute. What a cute little human. Let me scratch your little chin, you know? Yeah. You always have to work hard. We're not going to get there today, but this whole passage where it says, I'll just give you a hint here, where it says, work out your own salvation uh, in verse, uh, was it uh, 12? We won't get there, by the way. Uh, <laughs> notice in verse 13, it says, for God works in you. So we got God working in you, and as a result of that, you're working out. Just that's a hint that is where we're, yeah. we're headed. Or at least he was somewhat anthropomorphically yeah. described. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's your fifty cent word today, anthropomorphism. Okay. Uh, and anthropomorphism. Yeah, morphism. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. By the way, I did not learn reading by phonetically, so don't. Uh, I was from the, a weird school of thought. It was C and say when I was in my school, which is horrible. The result of that is I can't I can't read things that have weird weird words. I have to hear them before I can say them. Yeah. What I mean, I was just speaking like that. We don't have a grasp of metaphysics. We want to know. We, we want to know. We, we always are yeah. solving something. You know, it doesn't matter. We're constantly solving a problem. I mean, it's like if our wives are telling them, we're solving it. They don't want us to solve it. They want to be heard, and we're solving it. Okay, we're solving it. I always ask my wife, at, I, I've come to the point where I now ask my wife, Okay, which hat am I supposed to put on? Is this the listening hat or or the or the solve part? You know, because I'm happy to do one or the other, but I need to know which one how I'm listening. Because I always, you know, my my goal is to fix it. Well, here's three ways you can fix this right now. You know, you just start the story. And go, hey, I got it figured out. Let me fix it for you. No, no, no. She just wants to hear sometimes. Okay, so this idea of God the Son being co-equal with God the Father, in, in, uh, there was a split in Christianity over this idea of the same essence as God. And so you had uh, a group that split off early on in the church and they, be, they became what was sometimes known as the Oriental Orthodox group, which would include, among others, um, um, uh, the uh, Coptic Christians. Uh, from Egypt. Now there are other groups like that. There's a couple of Syriatic groups and, and some others as well. Uh, if you actually sit down and read the differences, it is so minute. It's like where you know where uh, the writer of Hebrews says that the Scripture is so sharp that it can divide between soul and spirit and between joint and marrow. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much. It's like wow, this is so finely defined. We think we're smart today. Those early church fathers were amazing with the way that they thought, way beyond my capability. I'll tell you that. I read it and I'm just blown away at the, the subtle differences that they found and and what they hung up on. Um, Anyhow, as a result of that, we come to this idea where it says, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something grasped or hung on to or used for his advantage is another way of saying that. God the the Son did not use his godliness to his advantage or his purposes to exalt himself. What does he do? He says, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in likeness or in human likeness and being found in the appearance of, of as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Now, there is, and I tend to come from this particular theological stream, Okay, I view this passage, some say, is this hymn, is this passage, is it ethical or is it theological in its approach? And, and I say that it's both. Um, I'm going to be a good millennial. Uh, I'm going to say it's yes and. I'm, I'm going to say that, that in this instance, it is both, it shows us how we should live because we're supposed to do it hum, in humility, live you know, and think of, of others first, which is what God the Son did. But as a result, that as God, the theology is that God the Son humbles himself. And in my particular strain of, of theology, we talk about this as kenosis, the emptying of his self in his giving up, at, at the very least, he gave up his rights to use the, the powers of God the, that he had. And everything he does, even throughout Scripture, even throughout the Gospels, you'll notice that he does it in the power of the Father. He doesn't do it in his own power. Doesn't, and he does it for the glory of the Father. Doesn't do it to glorify himself. Boy, that's hard. You and I both know that one of my struggles is just saying, apparently pride. Remember, I took that test to go to a church, and you know, I had to take a, some kind of test on it, and it kept asking about humility and where are you on your humility scale, and I kept saying five out of ten. And I came back, and, and they asked the question three or four times because it kept circling back because they went. Apparently, the the program wasn't happy with my answers. But I'm thinking in my mind, if I say I'm too humble, they're not going to be interested in me. If I say I'm too proud, they're not going to be interested in me. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to straddle the, the fence. They came back and said, you have a pride with humility or a problem with humility? Well, yeah, I know, I know. That's, but, you know, not knowing that the first time I'm taking it, I'm going, and I overthought it. You know, I'm, I, I, you know the right answer, but I'm overthinking. Going, well, you know, if I do this, I'm going to be. <laughs> so just give it an answer. You know, they said, just put the first thing down that comes to your mind. That's what you're supposed to. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. Jane, yeah. <laughs> I love you too, brother. <laughs> can, can an individual really measure their own humility 
Well, that's what I would yeah, say exactly. too. But but that this test was, you know, is asking for you to your opinion of your humility, and I'm going well. Apparently, I'm. Yeah, I did too, and I got it wrong. What can I say? Well, you know, well, you couldn't. It's on a, it's on a computer. You don't have that's not an option. Uh, uh, George, some of you know George on a computer. Yeah. Think about the fact that he first he chooses to become a human, but that's not even near enough. He chooses to come. Remember what he says: the son of the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. serve? Seriously? And remember, we looked at last week. It was Luke chapter, or maybe it wasn't last week. Maybe it was on Thursday. We looked at a passage out of Luke where it says. You know, when, you, when, when we as servants of God, when we've done everything that was commanded of us, we're to say what? I'm an unworthy servant because I've only done what was expected of me. Here's my problem. I don't even get that far. <laughs> I, I don't even do what's expected of me most of the time. No, I think God knows what I'm going to do. So I, from that perspective, yes, he, he's not surprised at my inability to follow commands. You know, he's very, he's, he's, he knows, he knows me, unfortunately. Uh, maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Yes, he was. Remember, we talk about the difference in, in the Greek. There are three words in the, in, in the New Testament that are used, that are translated into English Greek. There's actually four or five words in the Greek, depending on how you parse it that seem to indicate love. There's that the eros or the, the, the sexual uh, erotic kind of love. Then there's the, the brotherhood, the, uh, like, like we get the word Philadelphia from, is from a, a, a Greek word that talks about brotherly love, you know, shoulder to shoulder, we're marching together, we're going to war. And then there's the agape love, which is God love, which is the kind of love that is so sacrificial that God himself is willing to die for us. Seriously? I don't even understand God, let alone trying to figure out how does God die? Just asking. I, you know, spiritually, it's spiritual death is, remember what the definition of spiritual death is? Separation. Separation from God the Father. Jesus Christ suffers spiritual death on the cross when we believe that for three hours he took upon himself all of the punishment of the world that all of the sin that would ever happen, that would ever be taken, take place, past, present, and future. And as a result of that, God the Father turns his back on God the Son. And for the very first time ever, the Trinity experiences a split, a separation. 
remember the early church fathers talk about, and I can't remember the name of it, but there's a Greek dance that requires a minimum of three people to dance. You can't dance it without three, but you can have as many as you want in it. And they, they described Trinity and they described our fellowship with God as having three people in this uh, heavenly dance that they invite us to join with them in the dance. How cool is that? I get to dance with God. That's awesome. It's about fourth fourth century. Uh, church fathers came up with that. I, some of the Greek fathers. I think it was the Gregories. There's a whole group of Gregories that were theologians in the fourth century. Um, yeah. And probably everything yeah. in my sinful nature, but to do it not just once, but continually with someone, nonstop. And I got sometimes to the point where I hated because <laughs> it meant doing what I didn't want to do, and it hurt me. And I think about Christ who does it. That just blows my mind. That yeah. So, so you tried it and you, and you decided it wasn't for you, is that what you're telling me? I hear you, brother. So the difference between us and Christ, I believe, is that he never thought about it. Yeah, that's kind of, it, 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 that, yeah, I, I trust me, that's a, oof. Was never, was never thought not to do it or it just was something that he did. And when we start to do something, no matter what it is, start the, the Ben Franklin thing. Yeah, the word, the Ben Franklin clothes. If yeah. you're a salesman, you know, list all the reasons why you should and all the reasons why you shouldn't. Count them up, and that's what you decide to do, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's one of those one another's. There's only 21 of them in the Bible, but just saying, those one another's, you know. So someday, I don't know, instead of doing a Bible study, maybe we should do the study of the one another's. Ooh, man, that would be, I don't know. I, I think I would fail at that one, too. You know, it's, yeah, but that's hard. It's hard to believe. How does, how does God, how does Christ do that for us? Now, notice it goes on. We're talking about this. Regardless of whether he physically emptied himself even if it's just a metaphorical expression that says that what he did was he chose not to use his Godhead, his godly abilities. He chose to, uh, to follow what God the, the Father did, and what he did was in the strength of his humanness is still enough to blow me out of the water because there's no way that I could ever be good enough in my own humanness to do what was necessary to become accepted by God the the Father, and he does it as our representative, which is why we are now part of the new creation if we've accepted Christ. Just as one man had to die, 1 Corinthians tells us, just as one man had to die, and, and as a result of that death, sin entered the world, also now by one man does righteousness come back to the possibility for us to have a relationship with God the Father, a way back to God. 
There's a, a, a God will make a way where there seems to be no other way. God made a way. God pursues. We respond to God. That's what worship is. Worship is not us deciding we're going to worship God. Worship is us responding to what God has done in our lives and who God is. When I recognize who Jesus Christ is and what he did for me, you don't think I want to worship him? You don't want to think I want to say, thank you, Jesus? There was a... Uh, there, there's a, um, a movie. It's one of the early movies, Superman movies, with Christopher Reeves, and he, at some point, it's the second or third movie, he he leaves, and Lois Lane is left on her own, and she's there, and, and so as the movie progresses, Superman comes back, and she comes, she says to him, as he lands on her balcony, she says, "We, I don't need a savior. Whoa, and I think someone, how often do I say that? I don't need a savior. Am I out of my cotton-picking mind? Of course I need a savior. Of course I need a savior. All right. I'm getting... So, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Really? Seriously? Way beyond my capabilities. And he does it for me and for you. There's a song that says, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Whoa. Whoa. That blows me away. Don't you think we don't have to say I want to say Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And then we say, rescue me. <laughs> rescue me. We'll Oops. Say, we'll say things that action speaks louder than words. Yeah. And so sometimes our actions are speaking very clearly to God in many instances we don't need to say. <coughs> Attitude creates action. Attitude creates action. What our attitude is, we'll, we will prove to those around us by our actions. It's what James, I think, was trying to get to. He says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you mine with my works. Why? Because his attitude was, I want to serve God. I want to do what God says to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, where he says we were, we were saved by grace, but we're saved to do good works. It's not the cart before the horse, but the horse before the cart. And so James just simply says, it's not a pistol of straw. It's the By the way, aren't you glad we're not doing James and we're doing Philippians? I'm getting beat up enough doing Philippians, and this is a good one. This is one that this was a good church, let alone for me to go to take you to James. I told you, I, I don't know that I'll ever teach James all the way through again. I did it once and I had to suffer for it. I'm not sure I ever want to do it again. But the, thing, the thought is, James says, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you mine with. Because there's my credentials. My attitude drove my actions. 
It's true of all things. And think about it. Everything you do is based upon your attitude. When you respond negatively to someone, why? Your attitude is wrong. When you respond positively, why? Because my attitude is right. Hmm. Yeah. So this is, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hmm. Okay. So God, who, who exalted Christ? Did Christ exalt himself? Huh. But I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be exalted. I want to exalt myself. What does Scripture tell us? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. Yeah, yeah. You 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 want you want to drink from the same cup I have? Sure. Yeah, you, you will someday, but not not yet. Yeah, wait till. Yeah, yeah. I know. Sometimes the seasoning that I have to go through in order to be like Christ is not real fun, and 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 I have a heart. Yeah, we will never be like Christ, but we will at some point in time. When will we be like Christ? Yeah. Now, does that mean I'm going to be like God? Just asking. I won't be God. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. Huh? In his image, yeah. 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 Can you, you, know, you imagine James and John, hey, you know, Lord, let's, you want us to call down thunder on these guys? We'll just call down a lightning strike, you know? You want us. You want to see some shock and awe, let me show you some shock and awe. <laughs> so he says he gave him a name. What name did, did, Christ, did God the Father give Jesus Christ? Lord. 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 He gave him the name Lord. Huh. God exalts him to that. Now, there are scholars, and I think I'm with them on this, that say that God the Son was God the Son since all of eternity. But he is exalted to a higher place. What was the higher place that he was exalted to? He was already God the Son. This gets, really, this gets really confusing metaphysically because, remember, God exists outside of time, it doesn't exist in anything. He is all, always eternal. He is eternal. But as a result of God the Son stepping into time at one particular moment in time, he follows God the Father's leading, dies on the cross. God the Son raises him up and does what with him? Right hand of God. Right hand of God. And what was that? Set him at, sets him at the, on the throne. I also believe that he made him the high priest. He gave him that name. Now, I think he was acting as high priest as he died, but he was exalted to the highest place. The highest place is right next to God the Father. 
And he gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Who's going to bow? Who's in heaven? Angels. Who's on earth? Okay. What about under the earth? Remember that we're thinking about this from a Greek perspective or from a Hebrew perspective. What's he thinking about? Hmm? Devils. And who else? Anyone who's died. All, all those that are still in Sheol. So is it going to be is it going to be everyone goes, oh, yay, he's God, and everyone just just automatically falls down and worships him? Really? So what's going to happen? Some will do it willingly, and some will do it unwillingly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that at some point, if you do something unwillingly, at some point you go back and say to yourself, you know, I was I'm doing that. I yeah. was, you know, and then, so then it begins again. The rebellion, the. Well, again, remember, it, 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 and this is based upon my theology. Go ahead. Yeah, or like you like you tell your kids to do something and they don't want to do it, so they they sometimes do it grudgingly. We will be judged by our motives. Yeah. So, for those that do it unwillingly, you're, you're, to answer your question, in from my theological wheelhouse, okay, which is obviously not everyone's here. I, uh, I believe that there will come a time when Christ will return and set up a thousand-year kingdom at the end of that thousand years. And during that thousand years, he binds the, Satan, casts him into a, a pit for a thousand years. After that time, he's released for a short period of time. Those that have lived through the kingdom, th there will be those that enter that kingdom as humans, not fully uh, you know, uh, in new bodies like we will as, as believers who have gone before and come back with Christ to reign and rule with him. But the result is those who have lived on this in that thousand years will have had children. Some of those children will choose to follow Christ. Some will choose not to. There will be a rebellion. Christ will put down the last rebellion. And at that particular point in time, remember how I, the way I perceive it, is that there are there are various economies of God. Each economy is an opportunity for God to prove to humankind that no matter how He does it, there will always be those that choose to reject Him. So, because if you say, "Well, if you'd have just reigned and ruled over us, we'd have followed you," no, you won't. So what Oh, I do too, but there are there are those that, yeah, and that's okay. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out we got this much right and this much wrong, and we can enjoy uh, some kind of a heavenly brew in, in heaven and, and, and discuss how we got it all wrong. Okay, but in the meantime, what I believe is at the end of that period of time, there will come what, what, what the... Uh, Revelation talks about is the great white throne judgment 
There'll be a throne set up. Those that have not accepted Christ will come before him to be judged. And they will bow whether they want to or not because the all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God will be sitting on his throne figuratively. And again, we're talking probably anthropomorphically, although Christ himself has a body now, right? So he'll be sitting on a throne and they will be judged and tossed into the lake of fire. So it won't start all over again. It'll just end. Now, I don't know what happens after that. God's not revealed it to us. We, we think there's a new heaven and a new earth. We know that from Scripture. The new earth, I think, is the result of cleansing that God, I believe, in a universal flood. So, therefore, God cleanses the earth through Noah. God says, I won't do it again. But when I do it again the next time to, to, to cleanse the earth, I'll do it with fire. So how that works, I don't know. Um, back, you know, 100 years ago, we would have thought, we, I don't know what we would have thought. Now we'll think that it, it is some kind of a nuclear reaction or something, perhaps. I don't know. But the result of that is a new heaven and a new earth. Yep. One more time. So as I see it, every time we fail, humankind fails, innocence, we fail. Human government, we fail. The law, we fail. Grace, we fail. Kingdom, we fail. God says, enough. I've shown it to you every possible way that there is. There is no other way that I could have done it that you would have done it on your own. The only way you come to me is I... I pursue you, and you respond. And some of you choose not to. And with that said, we almost got through this. We're going to do the application, which, again, remember I tell you that during these, this, this study, the house is smaller than the patio. Okay? The house is, we've done this. We'll do some application next week. We'll try to wrap this up in a bow before we take off to Cuba. When we get back from Cuba, we'll start up again wherever we left off. So we probably won't make it all the way through the end of two, but that's okay. All right, this is good stuff. And by the way, thank you so much for your, your participation today. It's good stuff, good stuff. Some of you guys are pretty smart. Wow. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you again.